As I mentioned uh, last Sunday, we did uh, present uh, phase three of our uh, renovation plan, and I had every intention uh, this morning uh, to return uh, to the sermon series, Blessed Are the Persecuted. We've been looking at Bible characters that uh, suffered uh, persecution uh, for their faith, uh, learning uh, how God uses persecution uh, in our lives for our good and also to advance his gospel. Uh, we've looked at uh, Joseph. We've looked at David. Uh, the next character we will look at will be Jeremiah. So that was my intention until I had a conversation with a, a church member earlier in the week. Uh, in light of the phase three presentation, you may remember in my message last week, I challenged the church family uh, to give sacrificially. And uh, this church member asked me a very simple but a very good question. They asked, what is sacrificial giving? I mean, what, what do you actually mean by that? How do you know if you have given a sacrificial gift? And I thought it was an excellent question, and I'd like to answer that question today, I trust, uh, in the Scriptures. And I generally set aside at least one or two weeks every fall uh, to address the issue of financial stewardship. So I'll let this uh, message serve for that purpose. Uh, I hope you picked up a copy of the uh, sermon notes and I trust this message will be very meaningful to you. And let me say before we even get into the message, although we're focusing on sacrificial giving, everything that we will talk about applies to sacrificial what? Living. Uh, we really want to live lives sacrificially uh, for Christ to advance His cause, giving our lives, our talents, our gifts. And it, giving is just one way that we do that, but an important way. And I want you to see five truths that I think really captures what is the essence of sacrificial living or sacrificial giving. So look at that first truth there in your sermon notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 indicates that sacrificial giving involves a gift that is given in four ways. And uh, let's get these four ways first down in your notes. And let me give you the context. Uh, Paul, remember, was a unique minister uh, to the Gentile churches. And at this particular time, the Christian churches in the province of Judea, and these would have been primarily Jewish Christians, were suffering a horrific uh, famine, and they were just struggling to survive. So Paul began to take up a collection among the Gentile churches to support the Jewish Christian churches in Judea. And in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, it's all about him receiving this offering uh, from the church at Corinth. So these two chapters are all about uh, giving. And uh, the uh, Corinthian church had made a pledge to give a very significant sacrificial gift. And Paul is basically encouraging them in these two chapters to follow through with that gift and gives them motivations for doing so. But look at the uh, four ways that a sacrificial gift is to be given. First, a sacrificial gift involves being uh, doing it thoughtfully. That's that first point, doing it thoughtfully. Uh, that very first phrase in chapter 7, I mean verse 7 that you see in your sermon notes, let each one do just as he has purposed, 
in his heart. Notice, let each one do as he is purposed in his heart. In other words, uh, the Apostle Paul is indicating that giving should be the result of a very deliberate decision that's based on thoughtful reflection on who Jesus is, what he did for you, uh, the opportunity that you have in this gift to advance his cause. It should be, uh, prayer should be involved, planning should be involved. See, many believers wait until they are emotionally moved uh, to give. Uh, But God says impulsive giving is really immature giving. Uh, You don't tip God. You know, you don't say, well, I was moved in the service today, so I'm going to give an extra buck in the offering plate. Uh, Giving should, again, be the thought of, uh, should be the result of thoughtfully, thoughtfully reflecting on Jesus, on who He is, what He's done for me, and then I give in order first and foremost to express my love and appreciation to Jesus. But not only thoughtfully, a sacrificial gift should be given enthusiastically. Enthusiastically is that next point. Notice the scripture says, let each one do just as he is purposed in his heart, and not what? Not grudgingly. Now, a great example in the Bible of giving enthusiastically is when Moses was collecting the offering from the children of Israel uh, to build the uh, Old Testament Testament tabernacle. Uh, We read this in Exodus 35, verse 21. And everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, came and brought the Lord's contribution for the work of the tent of meeting and for all of its service. Now notice, as the children of Israel thoughtfully reflected on the blessing of God, as they considered how he brought them out of Egypt in the Exodus, gave them their freedom, as they reflected on that miraculous scene at the Red Sea, as he parted the waters and they went through on dry ground, and then God devoured Pharaoh and their enemies, as they reflected on God's miraculous provision and guidance in the wilderness, they gave enthusiastically. They gave, again, simply to express the love they felt in their hearts for God, for who He was, what He had done for them. Matter of fact, they gave so much that Moses literally had to stop them from giving anymore. That's how enthusiastically they gave. We read in Exodus 36, verse 6, So Moses issued a command, and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man or woman any longer uh, perform work for the contributions of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from giving anymore. Now, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing for me to come in the pulpit one Sunday and say, Hey, you don't need to give anymore? Uh, to phase three, we have everything that we need in abundance. And that's exactly what happened here. As the people gave thoughtfully, as they gave enthusiastically uh, to express the love they felt in their hearts uh, for God. So I give thoughtfully, I'm to give enthusiastically, but I'm also to give voluntarily. Voluntarily. Notice the scripture says we're not to give grudgingly or under compulsion. 
as your pastor, and I've been here at Edgewood for uh, four decades now, I can honestly say I never want you to give a single gift if you feel pressured. I don't want you to give a single gift if you ever feel manipulated. I don't want you to give out of guilt. I don't want you to give out of legalistic obligation. God desires that you give voluntarily, not as an act of duty, but as an expression of delight in Him. So, thoughtfully, I'm to give enthusiastically, voluntarily. And then the fourth thing that we see there in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, I'm to give cheerfully. Cheerfully. The end of that verse says, For God loves a cheerful giver. I love what Warren Wiersbe wrote about this uh, phrase. Uh, most of you know Wiersbe, just a great Bible teacher who's written a number of books. And he simply wrote this. We must not be sad givers who give grudgingly or mad givers who give because we have to. But we should be glad givers who cheerfully share what we have because we have experienced the grace of God. That's it. I give because I've experienced the grace of God and I want to demonstrate my love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Aaron, do not put the next slide up until I, until I tell you. I, I do want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 9. And I do want us to see in verse 6 that there are two different kinds of givers that the Apostle Paul mentions. And I want you to see these, and then we're going to uh, sort of define these two different types of givers. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He says, now this I say, uh, he who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. And again, I've already shared with you, this, the chapters 8 and 9 are all about giving, and so that's what he's talking about. So he says there are two different ways you can give. The one way is what? Sparingly, and the other way is bountifully. Now, how would you define a giver that gives sparingly? Well, put up the next slide, Aaron. When you give sparingly, the giver's focus is on how much I can keep instead of how much I can give. And the real problem with a giver that gives sparingly is that the giver has a relationship with God that sees God as a taker. See, when, when we talk about giving, whether it's giving our lives in service to God or whether it's giving our gifts and our financial resources, whatever it might be, the real issue is how we see God. That's going to determine how we live. That's going to determine how we give. And a person who gives sparingly is one who sees God as a taker. God's after something from me. He, 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 he wants to get what I have. And so I'm always, you know, that, you know I give, but, but, but what's really in my heart, if I'm really honest, what's there is, the issue is, okay, I'm, I want to give, but, but how much can I keep and, and give just uh, what may, uh, uh, you know, be expected of me? But look at the bountiful giver. The, bount the giver's focus here is on how much I can give instead of how much I can keep. 
the giver has a relationship with God that sees God as a giver. I mean, he, this person realizes I can't outgive God. And God promises as I give sacrificially, He will give to me. And go back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And with very little comment, let's just read uh, verse 6 through the end of the chapter. And you beautifully see this. He says, now this I say, he who sows who, who or who gives sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. So right off the bat, he's saying, hey, God's a giver. And if you give bountifully, you can guarantee that you're going to reap a harvest. And you're going to reap more than you sowed. He's giving that promise. Verse 7, as we just saw, let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And notice verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Do you hear what God is saying? God says, if you are obedient, in this matter of sacrificial giving, if you put your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and see Him as a giver, and you see your giving as an expression of worship, an expression of heartfelt love to Him, He says, as you give sacrificially, I give you a promise that I'm going to give you sufficiency for everything. I will meet your every need. Not only will I meet your every need, I will give you an abundance so that you can give to others, that you can support the cause of Christ. Verse 9, as it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness abides forever. Now he, God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will supply and will multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. We'll just stop right there. So you see this incredible picture of God, that God is a giver, that He is able, as you sacrificially give, to meet your every need, and not only meet your need, but give you an abundance so that you can minister to the needs of others. So I pray here at Edgewood that God would grow up a, a group of livers and givers that are living and giving bountifully to God and not sparingly, because why? Because the Bible says God did not even, what, spare his own son. But what? Gave him up for us. And if he did not spare his son and gave him up for us, how can we spare anything from God but give ourselves to him? Look at the second truth about sacrificial giving. And we touched on this last week, but we'll emphasize it again. Sacrificial giving is not determined and this is very important, by the size of the gift, but by the proportion of the gift to what I possess. That's how God determines sacrificial giving. It's not determined by the size of the gift, but by the proportion of the gift to what I possess. And you understand what this does. It's such a beautiful truth. It puts all of us on equal footing before God. See, you can take the very richest Christian you could find on planet Earth. And then you could discover the poorest Christian you could find on planet Earth. And God is going to reward them 
not on the basis of the size of the gift, because of course the richer man would give the greater gift, but on the proportion of what they give to what they possess. That determines sacrificial giving. Mark 12, verses 43 and 44. This is clearly seen with the widow's might. Truly I say to you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, this poor widow put in more than the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. And that's why Jesus said this one poor widow gave more than all of the other contributors put together because she gave everything. She literally put the money in the treasury that she needed to buy food for that day. She was having to trust God that he would supernaturally meet her need in response to her act of giving. So sacrificial giving is never determined by the size of the gift, but by the proportion of the gift to what I possess. Look at the third characteristic of sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving, and this should be obvious after that second point, requires self-denial. In other words, it cost me something. In other words, this is giving that you feel. I, I really appreciated the person I was talking to that raised this question. As I was trying to answer their question, you know, it, it suddenly popped in their mind. Yeah, I think I understand what you're talking about. She, she, they, they, they said how uh, in their marriage, uh, they had, I, I think if I remember right, had gone from a 30-year loan to a 15-year loan. And, of course, to do that, it meant their payment would go up. Of course, there were benefits at the other end. But they, she said to, to make that decision, it required what? It required us to adjust our lifestyle so we can make that possible. And that's what we're talking about here. Sacrificial giving, it will cost you something. There's an element of self-denial where, you, where you're, to give this gift means you're going to have to adjust your lifestyle or you're going to have to give up something that's valuable to you, that's important to you, to enable you to give that gift. Look at 2 Samuel 24, 24. Uh, this is King David speaking, and, uh, and he states the principle in very simple terms. He says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. There it is, which cost me nothing. Now, a great example, a great example of sacrificial giving is found in the churches of Macedonia. And you see that there in your sermon notes. And let's just walk through these verses. And let me give you the, the background. And when you understand the background, uh, this is such a beautiful passage on sacrificial giving. The Macedonian churches were under severe persecution. Uh, you might remember uh, last year we went through a book study of uh, Philippians where the church of Philippi was one of the Macedonian churches uh, that was under severe persecution. And, uh, and again, I mentioned that Paul, uh, as he ministered to the Gentile churches, he was taking up this collection uh, for the Jewish Christians in Judea who were suffering uh, from this famine. Well, when he came into Macedonia to minister to these uh, Macedonian churches who were suffering persecution, uh, that were uh, struggling just to survive, his initial thought was, I can never ask them to give to this offering. Uh, 
I mean, they're just struggling to make ends meet. They're struggling to survive. How can I possibly ask them to participate? And then when they find out Paul is taking this offering, when they find out he did not ask them to participate, they actually become offended. And they begin to beg Paul, say, wait a minute. Give us the opportunity. Give us the favor of participating in this, in this offering. Now, look at their great example. We'll just take it verse by verse. Look at verse 2, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2. He gives them as an example of sacrificial giving, and he says, In a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of liberality. Now, notice, it, notice the seeming contradictions in this verse, the, the, the paradoxes. Notice the things that are wed together. You have this great ordeal of affliction that's wed with what? Abundance of joy. That seems odd. You know, affliction and joy. And then notice what he weds, deep poverty with what? Wealth of liberality. So here he says, these believers, although they're under the gun, they're suffering persecution uh, by, the, by the Roman Empire. And, and you need to understand the reason they were struggling to make ends meet. In the Roman Empire, you could not work unless you became part of a particular trade guild or a trade union. And all of these trade guilds, all of these trade unions had false gods that they would worship. See, in, in Rome, there were a multiplicity of gods. And they really didn't care who you worshipped as long as you gave your ultimate worship, your greatest worship and submission and surrender to Caesar, who they believed was deity himself as well. And because of the Christians' refusal to recognize other gods, they couldn't find work. They were being blackballed economically. So that these, these when, when, for example, when you see that phrase, deep poverty, in the Greek text, there are different words that a writer could use to express poverty. This is the most dramatic word that Paul could have used. This word that he used means these people were in utter and absolute destitution. Again, struggling to survive, struggling to make ends meet. But despite that, what? They gave. They gave despite their circumstances. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a real a, a rebuke on us, isn't it? I mean, how many times have I said, has Andy Merritt said, you know, right now I, I, I just don't have enough to give. Well, this rebukes that type of thinking. Because again, go back, it's not the size of the gift. It's the proportion of gift in light of what I possess. So even when I'm struggling, even as they were in these dire circumstances, we can still give and actually gives us a greater opportunity to express our love and worship for God. Look at verse 3. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Notice, voluntarily, without pressure. They gave enthusiastically. And beyond their ability. Notice, that is sacrificial giving. Now, many, of it, many people would call this reckless giving because, let's be honest, what they literally did through their giving, in giving this offering to their Jewish brethren in Judea, 
they literally were putting their own lives at risk. They were jeopardizing their lives. And you would say, why would anybody, why would anybody do such a thing? And it goes to the very first point in, the, in our notes. Very first thing that we said. Sacrificial giving is to be given thoughtfully. As we reflect on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And later in that same chapter, this is what you read. And this is what motivated these believers in extreme poverty to give. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That through his poverty you might be made rich. And so these believers, they just looked at Jesus, who did not spare anything, who gave up everything for them, who was rich yet became poor, that through his poverty they might be made rich in grace, in forgiveness, in righteousness, in abundant life, in eternal life. And they just said, hey, this is a wonderful opportunity to express our love for Jesus, that in our poverty uh, to give sacrificially, as he gave sacrificially uh, to, to us. Look at uh, verse 4. I already alluded to this. Begging with us. Here's enthusiasm. Begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. It's amazing in their situation that they're begging to have the opportunity to give to others. And then in verse 5, it explains their bottom line motivation. And this not as we expected. But they first gave themselves to the Lord. There it is right there again. They first gave themselves to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And just saw this as a wonderful opportunity to express worship. Look at the fourth uh, characteristic of sacrificial giving in your sermon notes there. Sacrificial giving is also making an investment with God. That will bring an eternal return. God says, when you give sacrificially, I'm promising you something. You're actually making an investment with me. And I guarantee you an eternal return on that investment. Look at Philippians 4 verse 17. And before I read it, Paul is sharing this with the Philippians. Again, one of these Macedonian churches. And on this particular occasion, this is when they supported Paul in prison. And notice what Paul says to these believers who were being persecuted, struggling to survive, yet they gave sacrificially. He says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. What a wonderful truth. See, in the Greek text, circle, underline that phrase or circle that phrase, the profit which increases to your account. The profit which increases to your account. In the Greek text, that phrase was literally used in the money markets of that day to indicate the interest that would accumulate to a person's investment account. So Paul is saying, you know, I'm thankful that you gave me this gift. But, you know, more important than me seeking this gift for my sake, I'm just so thankful 
that it benefits you, that this is going to work out ultimately to your, to your eternal profit. So the Macedonian Christians saw their sacrificial giving as making an investment that would yield a return, both now and in eternity. So you remember what I said a moment ago? Many people would look at their sacrificial giving as foolish, as reckless, at putting their own lives in jeopardy, where maybe it wasn't that foolish and reckless after all. As they thoughtfully reflected on this gift, thoughtfully reflected on God, who's a giver that you cannot outgive, that will meet their every need and give them abundance to meet others' needs, they gave. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. And this is an interesting uh, correlation because in this passage, Paul is giving instruction to those who are rich. You know, we've been mentioning the Macedonian believers who are struggling in poverty, poverty and, and gave sacrificially. Here, he's addressing those that are rich, those that are well off uh, financially. He says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous. There's that word bountiful that you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And ready to share and notice storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation in the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Underline the phrase storing up and underline the phrase a good foundation. Storing up in a good foundation. Storing up literally means amassing a treasure. Amassing a treasure. Foundation, that good foundation literally refers to a trust fund. Now, folks, this is exciting. By investing earthly treasure in the cause of Christ, you lay up for yourself heavenly treasure. And listen to this incredible promise God gives to us. It's not in your sermon notes, but Luke 6, verse 38. Jesus says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Proverbs 11, verses 24 and 25, there is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. And again, the same truth was in the very first passage we looked at today in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. He who sows sparingly will also reap what? But he who sows bountifully will what? Reap bountifully. Will reap bountifully. Heaven, and remember, remember the heavenly profit, the heavenly treasure, the heavenly reward is not determined by the size of your gift. It's determined by the proportion of the gift to what you possess. That is exactly what Jesus teaches. And of course, all of this simply reinforces what Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21. Don't store up for yourself treasure here on what? Earth. But lay up for yourself what? Treasures in heaven, 
store them in heaven where they will never lose their value and are safe from thieves. If your prophets are in heaven, your heart will be there also. Now, now listen, beloved, because I don't want there to be any misunderstanding. Arriving at the eternal destination of heaven is determined by one thing alone, and that's faith in Christ. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a true, authentic, pure gift of God's grace on the basis of His mercy. Nothing that we can earn, nothing that we can deserve, but your eternal compensation. In other words, your rank in heaven, your reward in heaven is determined by sacrificial living and giving in the cause of Christ. How you invest, how you invest your life, your resources, your money in this life will determine your profits and reward in the next. The decisions you make each and every day here on earth have a direct bearing on the treasure that you are building for yourself in heaven. So what does Jesus do? What does the scripture do? It invites you to be very calculating. To be very calculating when it comes to investing your resources. Jesus wants you to, ingress, to aggressively pursue eternal profits by investing your money in the cause of Christ. And again, he gives every believer that equal opportunity because it has nothing to do with the size of the gift, but again, the proportion in light of what we possess. And then look at the fifth and last characteristic of sacrificial giving, which is really the essence of everything. Sacrificial giving is the essence of true worship. There it is. It's the essence of true worship. Romans 12, verse 1, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable God, which is your spiritual service of worship. See, this is verse is saying, as I reflect on the mercies of God. See, this comes in Romans 12, 1. In those first 11 chapters, he's been talking about the marvelous grace, mercy, salvation of God. How Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, wiped it clean. How his righteousness was imputed to us as a gift deposited into our account to give us a right standing on God. Again, not on the basis of works, but a basis of his grace. And he says, as I look at that mercy, as I contemplate that mercy, as I thoughtfully reflect on that mercy, I should be brought to the place where I present my life as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship. Look at Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And the reason I included that verse, look at Christ's example. As he gave himself up for us, a sacrifice, a fragrant aroma to God, we are to give our lives, all that we are, all that we possess, to God. And then I love Romans, uh, I'm sorry, John 12. Uh, this beautiful example of a sacrificial giving uh, with Mary of Bethany. It says, Mary, therefore, took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard, 
and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I mean, here it is right here. If you're familiar with the story, Jesus is just dazed from the cross. He's in Mary's home, having dinner with the disciples. And it's very obvious that Mary's eyes were opened by the grace of God. She realized who Jesus was. She realized why Jesus came. And I believe she came to understand probably quicker than anyone else that he was about to go to the cross to give his life for her sins and the sins of mankind. And as she realized that, as she thoughtfully reflected on that, all of a sudden it struck Mary. No sacrifice could ever be too great for him. No gift could ever be too extravagant. And then, and then it's like, how can I express my love for him? How can I express my worship for him? How can I express what my heart feels for him? No one told her to do this. Jesus didn't command her to do this. The disciples didn't instruct her to do this. This came spontaneous, voluntarily, enthusiastically, cheerfully, out of a heart that had been overwhelmed by the love and grace and mercy of her Lord and Savior. And so what does she do? She goes and gets her most valuable possession, probably part of her, her marriage dowry. We know that this was so expensive it would take a, a man saving all of his weight, a man working full time, 365 days out of a year, full year's wages, saving every penny of that for an entire year to be even be able to purchase something like this. And she brings that. And you remember, she breaks it. And she pours every drop on Jesus, as it says here, as that fragrance filled the house. And you remember, the disciples didn't understand. If you're familiar with the story, they get mad at Mary. They say, what in the world are you doing, crazy lady? And they begin to rebuke her. They begin to scorn her. They said, you could have sold that. And that could have been given to the poor. And then Jesus suddenly interrupts. And he says, men, you leave this woman alone. Because what she's done, she's done for me. And it is a good thing. She has anointed me beforehand for my burial she realized that I'm truly the son of God who left the glories of heaven came to the ghettos of this sin cursed world to die for her and all she's doing is expressing her love expressing leave her alone you're always going to have the poor with you you always have that opportunity leave her alone and then he makes an incredible statement in one of the other gospels he says, what this woman has just done for me, this will be spoken of in remembrance of her wherever the gospel is preached throughout all of time. What an amazing statement. Because what Jesus did, and this so moves me, he took the reason for which he came to this earth, to die for our sins, to give us abundant and eternal life, and he united it with what Mary had just done for him. And what and he's and he's teaching his disciples in this moment. 
This is a teachable moment for them. He said, guys, wake up. That's the gospel. That is what the gospel of Jesus Christ produces in a life. Right there, you're seeing it. When the gospel invades a life, when I capture a heart with my love and my grace, that heart is freed to love me, to honor me, to worship me. That heart realizes, as Mary has realized, no gift could ever be too extravagant for Jesus. No sacrifice could ever be too great. And so we just live our lives looking for creative ways to express our love, to be that living sacrifice. To provide that sacrificial giving in the cause of Christ. Not because we're motivated to provide curb appeal for our church or a courtyard area. We're thankful that that's going to all be useful. It's going to have benefit. But I do it because I want to worship. I want to love. And this just provides me an opportunity to express the love I feel in my heart for Jesus. And that's, that's what you have right here. And then look at that last verse, Philippians 4.18. Going back to the church of Philippi, going back to those Macedonian believers, he, Paul, having received their gift that came to him out of their deep poverty, he says, I've received everything in full. I've received it. And, and I have an abundance. In other words, thank you, thank you, thank you for ministering to me in my time of need because Paul was in prison at this time. He says, I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphrodites. Epaphrodites was the member of the Philippian church that they sent uh, to Rome, where Paul was in prison, to give the gift. He says, so I've received from Epaphrodites what you have sent. And notice how he describes it. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable what? Sacrifice. Well-pleasing to God. So, I hope this helps you understand what not just sacrificial giving is, but what sacrificial living is. And that as we reflect on who Jesus is, what, he, what he's done for us, there can be only one appropriate response. God, here's my life. All that I am, all that I possess, I lay it on the altar of that cross as a living sacrifice to you to love you, to please you, that's the motive behind everything I do. It's not out of duty, it's not out of obligation, it's out of sheer delight. And I pray that God will do that right here in Edgewood Baptist Church. So open our eyes to who Jesus is, what he's done for us, that we will be freed to enthusiastically, to cheerfully, voluntarily, give our lives for him. Bow with me in prayer. Let me just allow for a few moments of silence. For you to reflect on the message and what I would suggest right now, don't, don't reflect on the issue of giving. I would ask you to turn your thoughts, to turn your hearts on Jesus. Who he is, what he's done for you. And as you reflect on that, 
as you consider that, I just simply ask you, what's the appropriate response? And then you respond accordingly. And I trust you'll respond thoughtfully, enthusiastically, voluntarily, and cheerfully. Father, I trust many of us right now are afresh presenting our lives to you as living sacrifices on that cross where Jesus died for us. And Father, we even acknowledge your grace in the fact that the only reason you can find the sacrifice of our lives as acceptable to you the only reason you can find them holy is because the blood of Jesus Christ sanctified the cross and transformed it into an altar that brings justification, sanctification, glorification, that brings forgiveness, that brings wholeness to all who embrace it through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, as we lay our lives on that altar of the cross as living sacrifices, it's with boldness, it's with the assurance of faith that we come to you. And this is our prayer, that the fire of your holiness would fall upon our living sacrifices, fall upon this church, not to consume us in your wrath, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but yes, to consume the sin and the dross, yes, to consume the pride and the selfishness, and to bring forth vessels of honor that would serve your purposes, vessels that would bear the very image of Jesus and display Jesus before the eyes of a lost world. Let the fire of your holiness fall upon us and make us thy fuel, O flame of God, that we would burn bright for you and that as Jesus would be exalted, magnified, delighted in, glorified in and through our lives, that many others would be drawn to the preciousness, uh, to the goodness, uh, to the mercy into the grace of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we acknowledge uh, this very day, as we've been talking about giving, the real issue is how we see you. Do we see you as a taker or a giver? And, Lord, I pray you would open our eyes that we would see you as a giver, that we would see your marvelous grace, and that you would open our eyes to the wonderful majesty, value, worth of Jesus, where like Paul, in seeing that worth and seeing that value of Jesus, we would just say, I count all things lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage, as rubbish in comparison to knowing you, following you, and serving you. So Lord, affect that work in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of your word, 
For it's in His name we do pray. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless. Um, as we extend the invitation, possibly you're here and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Great message for you to hear. I mean, I'm talking to a believers, talking about sacrificial giving, but it had the gospel all in it, uh, who Jesus is, uh, what he did for you, and he did that for you because he loves you. He died for the penalty of your sin so that he could deposit into your life his life, his righteousness, his goodness, his mercy. And I would encourage you, I'd invite you, I'd plead with you today as you've heard about his love for you and about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would invite him in to your heart, into your life, to forgive you of your sin, to take control as you would turn from running your own life to follow him. Amen? And so we would encourage you to do that. Possibly you've been coming looking for a church home if God would be leading you to unite with this church, I would invite you to make your way down the aisle uh, just to be able to present yourself to the church body so that we can get to know you and begin loving you and expressing appreciation to you. So please stand as the invitation is extended. And again, continue to respond in your heart to the truth you've heard, but I'll be here to receive anyone that has a decision of any nature.